We're in a series simply called Out of Egypt. The first week we talked about the fact that God sees and God hears and God responds. He did that for the Israelite people in Egypt. He does that in our lives. He listens to our prayers. He sees what we're dealing with. He responds to our needs. He's doing that in our world actively. He sees the need in our world. He hears the prayers of Jesus' followers who are saying, Lord, there are people who need you. And he is responding a lot of times by sending us as representatives for Christ. In fact, second week, we talked about how God sent Moses to Pharaoh and told Pharaoh, on behalf of God, let God's people go. And we talked about how God often uses people to do His work. I think sometimes we want God to just miraculously do things and, and uh, there's no, no part on our part to have to take a step or to be obedient or to be involved. But the reality is God often does His work through people and He will equip us and empower us to do the work He calls us to do. Two weeks ago, we talked about the battle between Pharaoh and God. It really wasn't between Pharaoh and Moses. Moses was just God's, God's representative. It was really between Pharaoh and God. Would Pharaoh uh, crush the pride and instead believe in God? And God issued warnings and ultimately sent plagues as judgment because the Egyptians wouldn't listen to God. And the last plague was the plague of the firstborn. We commonly talk about it in terms of the Passover. And in that moment, uh, they were to take a, a perfect lamb, sacrifice that lamb, apply the blood of the lamb to the doorpost, and be inside the house. And when the judgment of God passed over, it would only affect the Egyptian people who wouldn't listen to God, and, and the people of Israel, the Israelite people, were safe. We talked about how when this all took place, just as God said it would, the Egyptians were then propelled to beg the Israelite people to leave. Like, get out of Egypt. We're, we're tired of the struggling. We're tired of the judgment of God. Get out. And we also talked about how the Passover didn't just celebrate the moment of the Exodus, but it pointed to Jesus the perfect lamb, Jesus Christ, sacrificing his life for us, his innocent blood being shed, and how we who are in Christ, we have safety in Christ, safety in the house. Uh, we have the promise of eternal life and not the judgment for rejecting the truth. And then last week at the end of service, wasn't that a great service with Minnesota Teen Challenge last week? Just phenomenal time of testimonies. Last week, we focused on our lasting ordinance today as we now celebrate the salvific work of Jesus through communion through the Lord's Supper. Hey, if you've got a copy of God's Word, we're going to pick up in Exodus chapter 12. I'd love for you to go there with me. In Exodus chapter 12, verse 37, the Bible tells us that there were 600,000 men who left Egypt that night. So 600,000 men, fighting men, plus women and children. Scholars have, have, have differed some on the totals throughout the years, but basically up to maybe even over 2 million people in total leaving Egypt, plundering the Egyptians on the way out, and being set free from bondage. You want to talk about leading a large group of people. Can you imagine? Moses really had megachurch problems at this point, I can guarantee it. Now the Lord had made a promise to Moses and made a promise to the Israelite people. He told them, I'm going to rescue you, and I'm going to lead you into the promised land, the land I'm giving you. And to this point, God had kept every promise, and He'd shown His power over all other so-called gods and over all people. As the Israelites were leaving Egypt, God, in His knowledge, His infinite wisdom, led the Israelite people in a different direction rather than the shortest way. Now, you may have looked at a map before. This gives you a quick idea. If you focus on the top left region of the map, as the Israelite people are leaving Egypt, rather than going across, straight across towards the Promised Land, God took them out and then down. You see Mount Sinai kind of in the point down below at the bottom and then back around. Now, part of this was their own doing. They wandered in the wilderness because they struggled to believe in God. They were disobedient at times. But part of this initially was God knew that if they faced hard times and if they faced battles, that they would turn around and go back. They wouldn't deal with it well. So God instead leads them away from the trade routes, away from the military routes, away from the potential of the Philistines and trouble there. He took them in a roundabout way and took them through the desert to get to the promised land. 
Here's a beautiful picture of how God was at work in the people of Israel. Exodus chapter 13, verse 21. The Lord went ahead of them. He guided them during the day with a pillar of cloud, and He provided light at night with a pillar of fire. This allowed them to travel by day or by night. And the Lord did not remove the pillar of cloud or pillar of fire from its place in front of the people. Can we just pause for a moment and declare, what, what could be a sweeter spot in life than this picture? God's in front, God's leading, God's protection, God's provision. I mean, this is the spot we all want to be in right here. We want God's leading. We want God's direction. We want God's uh, leadership in our lives. Now, as you would fast forward from this moment, now for us it's more history, as you would fast forward from this moment, much of the future from the point of the Exodus would point back to the Exodus. When you read throughout the Old Testament, when you even get into the New Testament and some of the writers there, they would quote or they would pull from the lessons of the Exodus and the journey of the Israelite people with God. It was proof of God. It was a reminder of the God that was served by the Israelite people. It journeyed, the, the journey highlighted God's faithfulness throughout the years. And so people would often look back and say, man, look how God did this. Look how God brought them out. Look how God provided for them. And so often people would look back to this moment. I, I come to this place in the narrative of the Israelite people and I think to myself, they're on the journey They've been led out of Egypt. God is leading. Pillar of cloud, pillar of fire. God's taking care of everything. What could be better than this and what could go wrong? I mean, at this point, God had done exactly what he said he would do. God was clearly powerful, more than the so-called gods, more than other people, and more than powerful enough to lead his people. God promised to lead. He was leading. He would lead. Now, we're told in the New Testament in Romans chapter 15 that everything written from the past is written to teach us now. We're to learn from people. And sometimes when we read in Scripture about people, we learn the good things. Sometimes when we read about people in Scripture, we learn what not to do. This might be one of those what not to do sections of Scripture. You may or may not be familiar with the narrative of Exodus chapter 14, but I think we can learn a lot from this journey. Moses leads the people of Israel out of Egypt, and as they're coming out of Egypt, the Lord is telling Moses, you're going to face one more attempt of the Egyptians. They're, the Pharaoh's heart's going to be hardened, and they're going to chase after you one more time. But I promise you, Moses... Even though they're going to do that and it's going to seem like a hardship, it's ultimately all going to culminate in bringing me glory, bringing God glory. So basically, Moses, don't worry about it. It's going to happen, but don't worry about it. It's all going to show that God is powerful. Things happened just as God said they would. Pharaoh's heart was hardened, and with hundreds of chariots and commanders from Egypt, Pharaoh chased after the Israelite people. Now remember... To this point in the journey, God had been faithful and powerful, and God was personally leading the Israelite people. Exodus chapter 14, verse 10. As Pharaoh approached, so here they are chasing the people of Israel, and the people of Israel are coming to the point of facing the Red Sea in front of them. We all know probably that narrative. Facing the Red Sea in front of them, looking impossible to cross to get through that, and then the Egyptians are behind them on their heels chasing them. As Pharaoh approached, the people of Israel looked up and panicked when they saw the Egyptians overtaking them. They cried out to the Lord and they said to Moses, Why did you bring us out here to die in the wilderness? Weren't there enough graves for us in Egypt? What have you done to us? Why did you make us leave Egypt? Didn't we tell you this would happen while we were still in Egypt? We said, leave us alone. Let us be slaves to the Egyptians. It's better to be a slave in Egypt than a corpse in the wilderness. I find that this shows an interesting part about human nature. How often do we forget or reframe what took place in the past? 
I mean, here's some people who have been set free from bondage. And, and I mean, it wasn't just get up and walk out. This included the miraculous of God on display. And here's these people who were able to leave Egypt, and they're saying, we should have just stayed there. How often do we also, when we're faced with the hardship, remember, Red Sea in front, Egyptians behind, how often do we jump to the worst-case scenarios, the negative rather than the positive of what could happen. Think about it. What was their immediate thought? Their immediate thought wasn't to step back and say, you know what, God's been faithful all this time. You know what, God's brought us through all sorts of things. Instead, they were like, Moses, we're gonna die! I mean, really? That was their thought. That was what they immediately jumped to, and it shows sometimes how in human nature, that's how we are. We jump to the worst-case scenario. We what-if sometimes, things that may never even happen. What we see as we study through the journey of the Israelite people from Egypt to the Promised Land is that the people of Israel repeatedly struggled to remember what they should have. They often forgot who God was, and they often forgot what God had done, and they often forgot what He could do. They seemed to forget, ultimately more than anything else, the people of Israel seemed to forget that God was on their side. This was His people. He was the one that had called them out. He was the one who, years and years before, had called Abraham to leave what he knew and to go, and God was going to make a people out of him. And then here they are, and they face the first hardship... And it seems like they'd forgotten who God was and what He could do. They find themselves frequently trapped between present hardships and circumstances and the previous faithfulness of God. The present hardships were so real at times that the Israelite people would often reframe the past and make it sound better than it was. In fact, two chapters later, Exodus chapter 16, the Israelite people were journeying through the desert and they seemed to forget that God had always provided for them. God had always taken care of their needs. I mean, even when they stood in front of the Red Sea, God caused it to split. The, the Bible talks about the wind holding the waters, and they were able to walk across on dry ground. It wasn't even muddy. It was dry ground. And they walked across on dry God had always provided. God always made a way. But it seemed like in Exodus 16, when their stomachs were empty, they forgot that God could provide. So rather than reflecting on God's previous provision and allowing belief in God to increase for their present needs, the Israelites began to actually act like they had it better in Egypt. Exodus 16, verse 3. If only the Lord had killed us back in Egypt, they moaned. There we sat around pots filled with meat and ate all the bread we wanted. But now you have brought us into this wilderness to starve us all to death. Okay, you had a bite of meat. You like steak. But do you remember you were making bricks during the day without straw? Do you remember those slave drivers? Do you remember what you were going through in bondage and how you cried out over and over and over again to me, to, to rescue, to God, to rescue you? But no, it was better in Egypt. We had meat. We sat around the pots and we ate all we wanted. God goes on in His mercy. Because... I think if any of us were God, we'd run out of patience a lot quicker than God does. Just being honest. God in His mercy ends up providing food for the Israelites. It was food from heaven. It's called manna in the Scriptures. Here was the interesting part about the manna. When God provided the food and gave the, the Israelite people instructions, they struggled to even follow those instructions. God said, you are to collect food just for that day, and then you'll receive food for the next day on the next day. What was it all about? It was a test. Do you believe God? Do you have faith in God to provide? Do you trust that God will provide? Because if you're going out and you're collecting what you need for today, and then you're hoarding more to try to keep for tomorrow, you're actually not putting your faith and belief in God. You're saying you've got to somehow provide for yourself, and God can't do it. So they, they even struggled to do what God told them to do in that moment. Again and again and again and again and again, 
God gave the opportunity for the Israelite people to believe, to have faith, to look back, to see his track record, to know who he is, to know that he had proven himself faithful and powerful and able to provide. But the people struggled to believe. They didn't remember who God was. They didn't remember the God they served. And and it showed, the lack of faith showed in their disobedience and their grumbling and complaining. Do you think grumbling is really a big deal? Well, if you don't, take a look through the Old Testament. Because this was evidence that they didn't really believe in God. They didn't trust in God. They didn't have faith in God. They wouldn't do what God said, or they didn't do it the way God said it, and they grumbled and complained. In fact, unbelief and the complaining that accompanied it cost the generation of people who were alive to lead Egypt and begin to travel to the promised land, it cost them from being able to enter the promised land. In Numbers chapter 14, we see the culmination of a people who wouldn't believe in God, who wouldn't take take Him at His word. And in Numbers 14, it says this, God said, "...as surely as I live and as surely as the earth is filled with the Lord's glory, not one of the Lord's people will ever enter that land." Why? They have all seen my glorious presence and miraculous signs I perform both in Egypt and in the wilderness. Pause. It'd be one thing for people to struggle to believe if they'd never seen God do anything. Maybe then it would be harder, right? But that wasn't the case for the people of Israel. These are people who have seen the faithfulness of God. These are people who have seen the pillar of cloud and the pillar of fire. These are people who have seen food, manna come from heaven. These are the people who saw Pharaoh and the Egyptians suffer judgment, that God brought them out then through the Red Sea and into the... These are people who lived with experience of God's power and leading. But again and again, God said, they have tested me by refusing to listen to my voice. So where's the guilt? Where's the indictment? They've seen... And not believed. They've experienced and not believed. And it was evidenced by their disobedience, refusing to listen to my voice, and by their grumbling and complaining when they faced present hardships. They will never even see the land I swore to give their ancestors. None of those who have treated me with contempt will ever see it. You may be familiar with the narrative of Numbers the, the people of Israel eventually get close to the promised land and God instructs them to send in people to scout out the land. They send in 12 spies. They come back and they talked about how great the land was. It was a land flowing with milk and honey. The grapes were so big it took two people to carry poles to carry them back. It was amazing. Now remember, God had already promised this land to the people. It, it wasn't up for debate. It wasn't possible that God would give this land. God said, I am giving you this land repeatedly. But when they came back, after describing all the wonderful resources and all the wonderful land and things that they saw, ten of the twelve said, we can't go in here. These people are like giants. We're like grasshoppers. We can't go in here. So immediately it was negative. Immediately it was what we can do as individuals. Immediately it was impossible. We can't do that. But there were two guys who stood up and said, wait a minute. We can do this. God has given this to us. God is with us. God has led us. And Joshua and Caleb tried to tell the entire camp of Israelites, no, we should go forward because God's given us this land. He'll go before us. He'll be with us. They stood for it. But the Bible says that the group of the ten spies went through the camp that night grumbling and complaining and persuading people to believe it wasn't possible. And you think grumbling and complaining has no effect. They refused to go forward, and out of the twelve, the two that, that got to actually enter the promised land were Joshua and Caleb. Why? Because they believed God. Because they had faith to say, God has brought us this far. God's not going to leave us now. Only two out of the twelve. What can we learn in this? How can we in our lives grow in believing God instead of unbelief, which leads to disobedience and grumbling and complaining? 
I can promise you we will face some hardships in this life. Scripture talks about the sun rising on the just and the unjust, the righteous, the unrighteous, it, that, that the rain comes for the righteous and the unrighteous. The whole principle of it is God's faithfulness is seen even that the sun came up this morning. And, and it reminds us of God's faithfulness, but it also continually speaks to the unrighteous to help them to see that God really is real and God really is alive and God really is faithful. And we also face hardships. We deal with some things, and, and sometimes, yeah, people make some, some pretty poor choices and they reap consequences. You do reap what you sow. That's a scriptural principle. But there are times that we face hardships as a simple result of living in a sinful world. We're living in a world that's broken. This wasn't how God intended it to be. Go back and read the story of the Garden of Eden before the fall of man. It was perfect. They didn't even have to work the ground, anything. It was all provided. I know a lot of people that would enjoy that. Don't raise your hand all at once. Some of you aren't looking forward to going back to work tomorrow. Anyway, we're going to face some hardships in life. It's going to happen. And in that moment of facing hardship, we're going to have a choice to make. Are we going to believe in God... Are we going to believe in who God is? Are we going to believe in what He said? Are we going to believe because of what He's already done in our lives? Or are we going to doubt and grumble and complain and ultimately be disobedient? Are we going to deal with it in a different way? Are we going to allow the present circumstance and the present struggle to dictate how we respond rather than the track record of God? I would end by talking briefly today about the theme of gratefulness because I believe it connects to what we're talking about here. Can you imagine with me? When I read this narrative, and whether it's coming to the Red Sea and the Egyptians behind them or whether it's needing, needing food to eat or battling different enemies, whatever the case... What if, what if in that moment, instead of grumbling and complaining and, and somehow implying that Moses was poor in leadership or somehow implying that they couldn't believe in God and do what he said to do, what if in that moment the Israelite people, when faced with a hardship, had just taken a second to look back and reflect on what God had already done? You know, we, we face some challenges, but, but we're with God and God's with us, and He's taken care of us before. He's, he's all-powerful. He's been faithful. He's never changed. His promises are true. You know what? We're dealing with some things, but God's got this. You know, in the natural, this looks pretty hard. It looks pretty impossible. I don't know how we're going to get through it, but you know what? I do know the God we serve. You know, I don't, I don't know what all is going to take place. I don't know how in the world we're going to get on the other side of this Red Sea. I don't know how in the world we're going to defeat these enemies. I don't know how it's going to happen in all of my ways because I'm limited. But you know what? I serve the God who has all power and has all knowledge and all ability to solve everything. How are we going to deal with this? Well, I can look back. Gratefulness or thankfulness connects us back to God's faithfulness. And when we reflect on God's faithfulness, we look differently at our present circumstances. If I face my present hardship just in my own ability and just in what I see in the natural, I'm going to be discouraged. Because there's moments where it's hard. There's moments where it doesn't make sense. There's moments where things seem impossible. If I face my present hardship just in myself, yeah, I'm going to grumble and complain. Why have I got to go through this? Why have I got to deal with this? Why is all this happening all at once? But when we reflect on God's faithfulness, we look differently at our present circumstances. Because when I look back with, with grateful hearts, and when I look back with a grateful heart and with thankfulness, my heart is filled with faith. I have a growing confidence. I, I, I don't have the ability to get through this, but when I look back, I can say, God's always had the ability to bring me through this. And He's always brought me through everything I've ever faced. He's been faithful, and His Word tells me He never changes. So even in the moment when I'm facing the hardship, I don't have to fall in front of this hardship and say, woe is me, and there's nothing going to change. I can look back and say, 
God's been faithful. He will bring us through. He will provide. He will heal. He will deliver. He will set free. He will be faithful to accomplish. How can I say it? That's who he is. That's what he's always done. We can trust for the present because we've looked back and seen God move in the past. I'd pose a question to you that you should consider. We all should consider. Do we grumble or are we grateful? Do you grumble or are you grateful? See, grumbling looks at the present hardships without faith and confidence. Gratefulness reflects on the past, which generates thanks for what's been done and a confidence for what will take place. Grumbling magnifies the challenges we face. Gratefulness magnifies the God we serve. Grumbling focuses on what you think you lack. Gratefulness focuses on what you've already been given. If we're full of grumbling, we lack gratefulness. If we're full of grumbling, we ultimately indicate what's in our hearts. If not careful, grumbling is telling us that we're struggling to have faith in God and believe Him to bring us through. The psalmist said this way, Psalm 100, verses 4 and 5, Enter his gates with thanksgiving, go into his courts with praise, give thanks to him and praise his name. Why? For the Lord is good. He doesn't just do good things. He is good. He is pure. He is perfect in all of his ways. For the Lord is good. His unfailing love continues forever. Listen to this. And his faithfulness continues to each generation. Here I am, centuries past the Exodus. Here I am, centuries past Jesus being on earth in human flesh form. And yet today I can say God is still the same God He's always been and He's still faithful to take care of His children. His faithfulness continues to each generation. Paul said in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 18, Be thankful in all circumstances. I don't know, that's a pretty loaded one there. Be thankful in all circumstances. For this is God's will for you who belong to Christ Jesus. How can a person be thankful in all circumstances? I mean, it's easy to be thankful when everything's going right. Come on. It's easy to be thankful when family's good and money's good and job is good and neighbors are good and the dog is good. Come on. It's easy to be grateful when everything seems to be going the way we think it ought to go. It's harder to be thankful when things seem to be all wrong. But that's why gratefulness in our lives is not based on circumstances. Gratefulness is based on the character and faithfulness of God. Circumstances change. God doesn't. Feelings will change. God won't. Gratefulness is not based on circumstances, but instead based on the character of God. So let me give you two practical encouragements. Number one, in hardships, when you face that tough time, in hardships, look back. Look back. I know I've heard all the sayings about the, uh, the windshield is bigger than the rearview mirror and, and so your, your future goals and your future dreams should always be bigger than your memories. And I understand the, the under, the, what's, what's trying to be communicated in that. We should never lose our ability with God, with, with His power to dream and to have faith for the future. And we should never get so stuck in the past that nothing can ever change in our lives without us having a coronary. Okay, I get all of that. What I'm talking about is not going back in the past to live there. What I'm talking about is reflecting back on the past so that we can be encouraged and faith-filled in the present and future. So when you face a hardship, you need to look back. Our present faith, our, our faith in the present hinges on God's proven track record. If we want to be confident and encouraged and strengthened and able to look forward by faith, it will hinge on looking back at God's proven track record. Looking back will remind us that God has been faithful. Looking back will remind us of God's character, and then we can say, well, God never changes, so I know He's going to be the same now. 
looking back to look forward. Because he is, I believe he will. I want you to catch that. Because he is, same yesterday, today, and forever, the I am. Because he is, that's who he is, I know he will lead me. I know he will take care of me. I know he will provide. Secondly, more than just in hardships, I pray that we become a people who practice ongoing gratefulness. Practice ongoing gratefulness. You know, it shouldn't take a holiday for Jesus' followers to be grateful. We should be, of all people on the face of the planet, we should be the most thankful, grateful people there are. More than a season, gratefulness should be a way of life. I think the Lord can help us to become a people who look for His blessings. Maybe you're, you're especially facing a hard moment, a hardship in this time, and, and it'd be tempting to be pretty bummed out, pretty discouraged. I want to challenge you that in the midst of any moment of struggle, you can find, even then, a blessing from God. We're in this room today because of the blessing of God. We're breathing. You're breathing, right? Some of you are not so sure. Okay, that's comforting. Very comforting. We're breathing because of the blessing of God. We were able to get to this place together because of the blessing of God. I could turn and put two feet on the floor this morning because of the blessing of God. Some of the very things that we're tempted to take for granted are the very reasons we should be telling God thank you. Some of the very things that we take the most for granted. I mean, I don't want to guilt you in this way. So so hear my heart on this. Guilt doesn't motivate people. In fact, it just does the opposite. But at the same time this week, I couldn't help but think we've probably thrown more food scraps away than what other people have eaten this entire week. That's not a reason for us to exalt ourselves, and it's not a reason for us to live in, in the guilt of, well, we've had food to eat and someone else didn't, but it's just a way of recognizing what we have and where we are in life. God's been faithful. God's been good. You may not have everything the world says you should have. You may not have the latest and greatest, but if you've got Jesus... You've got all you need. It's not a default in our culture to be grateful. This is a simple message, but it should be a real encouragement to us to live this way and not just talk about it. Because in our culture, it's all about getting more or getting better. The things right now... you see all the ads, all the advertisements, the commercials, the whatever. You talk about it and you open Facebook and there it is. Because they're listening. No. <laughs> I was wondering if anybody caught that or not. You talk about it and there it is on Facebook anyway. Talk about it and there it is on Facebook. Turn on any kind of television whatsoever. And all the ads are telling you is what you have isn't good enough. You need a better phone. You need a better camera on your phone. You need a better case for your phone. You need better headphones to listen to your phone. And this is just the phone. You need WeatherTech mats for your car and truck. You need Verizon instead of AT&T. I mean, I could go on and on and on. It's all about getting the upgrade, right? And people pay big money to get the upgrades because somehow they're convinced that I don't have what I should have. I don't don't have everything I need because somehow the iPhone 13 doesn't do what the iPhone 14 does. 
concert out at the top. It's just a little island now. Oh, this is, this is a better camera. It takes better pictures. Oh, this one's got more memory. So many things. We need the latest and greatest according to culture. And then if we're not careful, we become a people that begin to say, you know, life would be better if I just had fill in the blank. If I just had a better job, if I just had more money, if I just had a nicer car, if I just had this person as a spouse, if I just had these kids that act better than mine, if I just had all of these things. Some of y'all are laughing because you know you've thought it. If I just had this. And when we start focusing on the this, we lose sight of what we already have in Christ. And we lose sight of what God's already done in our lives. We chase more. We chase different. We chase the upgrade. Rather than saying, in Christ, I'm content. I've got everything I need. He provides for my needs. I have food to eat. I have clothing to wear. I have a place to lay my head. I'm blessed. But more than anything, I'm blessed not because of the dollar amount in the bank or the clothes I'm wearing or the house I'm living. I'm blessed because I'm a child of the King. I'm saved. I'm freed from the burden and the obligation of sin. I'm now living in Christ and the Holy Spirit, God Himself dwelling in my life. And every spiritual blessing I need is in Jesus. I've got the promise of eternal life. Well, how big is that? Do you like getting up with aches and pains every morning? Do you like the fact that when we're born, we're literally dying? The outward body, Paul said, is wasting away. We're decaying day by day. But there's something going on on the inside. There's been a deposit, a down payment in our lives known as the Holy Spirit that reminds us that we're not living just for this life and just for this moment. There's an eternity coming where we're going to be with God forever the way it was intended to be. We're blessed. We've got a reason to be grateful. I'm going to ask you if you're in the room today, would you stand? And if you're online, I'd love for you to take a few moments with us as well. And hardships look back and coming to a place in our lives of practicing ongoing gratefulness. I read a story from a friend of mine this morning early. I think he'd posted it a day or two ago, but he was in a foreign country and the country had suffered a terrible earthquake. Homes were destroyed, people were dead, terrible situation. Several years ago. And he and some friends were in that country ministering. And one night late, they were laying in bed and they could hear noises coming. And all of a sudden, they began to realize people were singing. And out in the street, laying on who knows what, broken legs, injured bodies not even really knowing probably what was going to happen next or how they would make it. He said, I was awakened to the sound of people singing and as we got out and sat on the curb, I began to realize that in a different language there was a people singing, Blessed Assurance, Jesus is mine. And as they were singing, I mean, this this had to be heartfelt because you don't do that in the middle of a situation like that. No matter what we face in the present, when we think of who God is, and when we reflect on what God has done and His faithfulness, and we look back and see, I think every one of us in this room could point back to a time. I was just thinking, even between services, I was thinking, the moments when God has protected our family, that maybe initially I didn't even realize. I remember several years ago, Amber, you'll remember this. I remember several years ago, we were, we were traveling between Springfield, Missouri and Jerseyville, Illinois. We were traveling from where we lived to where Amber's family lived. And I remember I was frustrated because I'm kind of a point A to point B kind of guy. If you want to antique, let's pick a different day, right? If you want to stop at all the stores and sit down and eat, I'm, I want to get the fast food, get the gas in the car, use the bathroom every 30 minutes in my family and, and keep trucking. I want to get from point A to point B, just my personality probably. 
And I remember I was frustrated. We left late. I can't remember if we had the cat in the car with us or not, but that's a whole different ball of wax. She's got more than nine lives, actually. She's already died 12 times, I'm pretty sure. We were traveling. I was frustrated. We were behind. I'm trying to remember. I don't, we didn't have kids yet, so it was just us, but, but potty breaks were still a thing. And, and uh, me, I'm sure it was me. I'm sure I needed to stop. And uh, thank you. And um, I, was just, I was just frustrated because I thought, we're never going to get there. And we pulled up. We were on the interstate. And we pulled up, and there was a line of traffic. And, of course, that only enhanced the frustration because now you're stopped at a standstill on the highway when you should be going at least the speed limit. And all of a sudden, I think I still have a picture and a video somewhere. All of a sudden, we saw this helicopter fly in and land in the middle of the road to pick up someone from an accident. I'm not saying you grade, you don't grade God's love on, on one was spared and one wasn't. That's not what I'm saying. I'm just simply saying there are moments that God takes care of us. That we should pause and say thanks. And when you add all of those moments together, you get the journey we've been on in our lives. Because God's been faithful through it all. So I want us to take a moment and let's give some thanks today. Would you bow your heads and close your eyes, mainly just so that you're not distracted and you can talk to God. And I want to do, I want to do this. I want to challenge you today to maybe even move from your spot if you'd like. These altar areas are open. If you want to kneel here and pray to give thanks with me today, uh, if you want to kneel at your seat, if you want to walk and pace, that's fine. But, but would you just move into a spot where you can talk with God and just say thank you for a bit? Would you do that with me? Let's, let's give some thanks. I'm going to lead us in this prayer, but I want you to join me. I want you to let this be personal today. I don't want to praise God for you. I want you to open your mouth and you to praise God today. Give thanks. Father, I'm grateful. This life that I have is only because of you. I'm grateful, Lord, that I'm your child. That God, when my, when my destiny, my eternity was not settled in you, you love me so much you gave Jesus. Lord, Lord I, I'm not sure I can even begin to fathom giving my own child. Jesus, you willingly went through the pain and the anguish suffered for me. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord, that even if I don't live up to it sometimes, Lord, you still love, you still merciful, you're still gracious, you're still working on me, Lord. Thank you for the indwelling of the Holy Spirit that He leads and leads us in all truth and keeps us pointed in the right direction, O oh Lord. Thank you, Lord, that in moments of worry or stress or anxiety, we can cast our cares on you, Lord, that, that you offer a great exchange of worry and anxiety for peace in our hearts, Lord. God, I thank you for the times that you've protected us when we didn't even realize it. Physical protection, spiritual protection, Lord, when the enemy wanted to come against us, when the enemy attacked, oh Lord, you gave us strength. When, Lord, we faced physical struggles, Lord, you've given us strength. Lord, you are faithful, so faithful. Thank you, Lord, that we do have clothes to wear and food to eat, a place to sleep. We don't take that for granted, Lord. Thank you, Lord, for this EPAC family and that we get to journey together. And that we get to encourage one another and love one another, God, and that your spirit can be at work through all of us to encourage, to walk together. Thank you for moments like this where we can come together and worship Come together and hear the word, Lord, and grow, praying for one another and fellowship with one another, Lord. Thank you, Lord, for the, the jobs that we have, for the work that we get to do, for the, for the stream of income and provision that you provide, O oh Lord. 
thank you, God, for your blessings. Lord, it can be tempting in moments in life when we face hardship and struggle to grumble or complain or doubt. But Lord, I pray in moments of hardship we would look back and remember your faithfulness. We would look to your word and remember who you are and who you've promised to be every day of our lives. That we would become a people that rather than grumbling or complaining or looking at the negative, Lord, we would become a growing people who, who Lord, we can, we can look in our lives every day and see your hand of blessing. Lord, we thank you. Thank you, Lord, that, that there have been those who have been able to spend time with family this week. And, and God, to, that that we get to cherish those moments with people that we still have in our lives, Lord. Thank you for comfort when we're missing those we love. Thank you for power, empowerment, Lord, to live the life you've called us to live and to help others know you. Thank you that we're not alone and we'll never be alone. As we walk with you, you promise to be with us every step of the way. May we find our contentment more than ever in you, Lord Jesus. Things change, feelings change, but you never do, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Thank you for your blessings. Thank you for your work in our hearts and in our lives, Lord. When we're tempted to chase, when we're tempted to grab for more, when we're tempted to, to look and say we don't have, Lord, I pray that we would instead look and say we do have because of you, Lord. Because of you. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. If you feel comfortable today and you just want to express gratitude to the Lord with me, would you just lift your hands today to Him and just say, Lord, we lift our hands is not only a sign of surrender but a sign of praise we honor you our king I'll throw up my hands to praise you again and again all that I have is a faithfulness and God's character uh, just that in this moment you can be lifted in this moment you can have an increase in, in, in a faith boost and a confidence boost in the Lord to take care of those needs maybe you're struggling today maybe that hardship's really real and really deep and, and really really hard and today you're struggling to believe because you have no clue how it's going to change today there are people who will pray with you and encourage you I want to pray for you today, and I want to encourage you, just take all the time you'd like today to say thanks to God. And I want to challenge you to, to do one more thing today. 
that as a family unit or as an individual, you would take some time and reflect on God's faithfulness today. Now, I know everybody doesn't do the same things. I know not everybody's a, a journal person. But I want to I encourage you and challenge you to find a way to document some of the ways God's been faithful in your life. Would you, would you take some time and just go back and think through, maybe as a family unit, maybe as an individual, uh, maybe you talk through some of those things as a family, maybe as a couple, and talk through some of those things and just write a few things down, moments when God protected, when God provided, when God led, when God helped you to navigate different things in life. Write those things down because here's the deal. Even if you're not in hardship right now, there'll be a moment where we face something again. And, and as simple and as practical as it sounds, by, by noting some of those things where it's in a journal or in a note on your phone or, or whatever, by noting some of those things, you have, in addition to the Word of God, you are able to personally go back and read through some of those things in moments of hardship as a way of bringing encouragement in your life. As a way of saying, I may be facing something now, but God's been faithful before. He's still the same. He will carry me through. So I want to challenge you, whether you're an individual, whether you're a family, take some time. Reflect on the faithfulness of God. Reflect on the way He's provided, protected, led. Note a few of those things so that you have that. And then maybe we get in the habit of doing that going forward. Maybe we need a pause moment at the end of each day to just say, you know what, I need to look for the blessings of God today. Especially in those really hard days when you get home and all you want to do is disconnect from everything else, right? Come on, you know what I'm talking about. Those are those moments when you say, you know what? God, it may have been a really hard day, but you've still been really good to me. I still have a lot to be thankful for. I'm going to pray for you. I encourage you to take some time to reflect on His faithfulness. Lord, I pray today that you would bless and keep this people that you would make your face to shine upon them and be gracious to them, that your countenance, your favor would ever be turned in their direction and you would grant them your peace. We say thank you, God, today. You've truly been so much better to us than we could ever deserve. Merciful and gracious, compassionate and kind, patient and loving, we thank you. God, I pray that we would go and be safe and be well and that we would be people who practice ongoing gratefulness. When we're tempted to grumble, complain, or think about what we don't have, may we remember what we do have in you and because of your provision. Thank you for this great day in Jesus' name.